how much you're going to get paid is not based off of how much you're worth. It's based off of how much the role is worth. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, if you are building a tool that is a SaaS product, that is a reven revenue generating digital solution, you can expect to get paid more. Welcome everyone to the Tech Guide Podcast, where we give actual advice to those wanting to break into tech or are looking for their next gig. We have Eric Anderson, aka the world's happiest engineer on the pod. Welcome, Eric. So, so excited to have you on. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And you have a heck of a background in content creation and within this industry. April 2020, take us back to this moment because I think you started a little initiative where you want to post on social media every single day. What really prompted this? Yeah, so currently now, uh, recording this three and a half years later, all of my content is focused around the job search. I guess the origin story of a lot of that was April 2020 with my own job search. Even though I had about eight years of experience at that time, in the at the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, I struggled to find a lot of people interested in the experience uh, that I was bringing to the table. So part of that was I had a very small network, so I figured, well... I probably need to be doing something differently because even as an experienced developer, cold application was not getting me very far. Yeah. So went through that process, learned some things. And then in the, the years since that, trying to share things from my own experience, sharing things, experience from the, the, the juniors I've mentored, the interviews that I've held, and just trying to pay it back where I can. Yeah. And I, I think it's so cool about that is like, it really started out with like, oh, I have a really small network right now, but I'm looking to grow this. And social media is a great way to do that. And I imagine throughout that all, you met some incredible people and it has been a great networking tool for you. Like right here, right now, this conversation, Ryan, <laughs> us meeting uh, is kind of a result of a lot of that effort, right? Yeah. It's really cool. Cause like social media, it is such a powerful engine. And if you're posting on LinkedIn, Twitter, like really putting yourself out there, it does open up so many opportunities as you've seen, uh, to content creation, actually getting yourself out there and opening new doors. Yeah. And it can kind of be a, a slow burn depending on, on how you approach it. Yeah. I, I know from my own story, I posted every weekday for two years before I got any wow. significant traction. And part of that was my own journey. I was doing it, you know, on the side. I, I didn't really have an objective besides just meeting people. Uh, but you eventually learn how to craft your posts, what, what's a good engaging hook, what topics are interesting to your audience, yeah. when to post. You kind of have to figure all that, that out on your own. Uh, so it took me about two years to, to refine that. Uh, and then the last uh, year, year and a half has been a, an incredible journey. Absolutely. And you have refined that to a science now because now you're teaching us about tech job placement. You have boot camps, workshops, you mentor. Um, what really called you to this specific vertical to like work in here? Or, yeah. So yeah. I guess two, uh, two milestones on my, my own journey. That was when I graduated school, I had a good friend who had several years of experience, but did not have a formal college degree. And he struggled to find work. And I had worked with him at a previous company and I knew he was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so being, trying to be the good friend that I was, I put a lot of energy and effort into finding him a role and he found one and it was incredible. And uh -huh. it, it changed his life. He was a, you know, a new father uh, struggling to, you know, pr provide, you know, put food on the table for his young family and just seeing the impact that had on him. And every now and again, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll check in on him to see how he's doing. And 
you know, all the hard work really was him. It's his own skills. He had to go through the interview. So I don't want to feel like, you know, he got that job because of me or his life is he, he owes it to me. But <laughs> to be a part of that story has been incredibly fulfilling to me. So that was back at the very early stages of my professional career. So it's always been on the back of my mind. You know, how could I do this more? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second a- aspect of this was I pursued my career uh, going up the corporate ladder. I made it into management and yep. I hated it. Uh, it. All the fun stuff about coding and work was now gone. I mean, I wasn't playing with my, you know, Lego blocks, you know, my coding blocks all day. It was budgeting. <laughs> it was finances. It was issue escalation. It was stakeholder management. It was deadlines and, and blah, blah, blah. So I've made an intentional choice for my own mental health to go back to an individual contributor role. Uh, but I wanted to keep the, the part of it that I really enjoyed. And that was the mentoring of newer developers. So that's what I try to do now. I still am yeah. an individual contributor. You know, I'm a tech lead for for uh, my backend team here at Yum, uh, but still I scratch the other uh, itch in helping others uh, with my online activity. Absolutely, and we're going to dive into that right now because you continue to mentor developers. Um, and let's start about the job search. People want to know it's really hard right now to find a job as a software developer at. Any actually any job right now, it's very hard to find. It's always an adventure. It's always hard to do. Let's say you are ready to do this. Let's just say like, hey, I'm looking for my my first software developer role. Maybe maybe it's from a career change right out of school. What would be like the first step that you would take or that you would direct someone to take when starting their job search as a software developer? Yeah, the, there are two aspects here. I know you asked for for one thing. I want to yeah. give you two here. And the first is, I want you to think about your job search from the employer's perspective. Because mm. um, so many developers I see, you know, they create a basic resume, they even create a portfolio. I'm sure they're excellent developers. And then they send out a bunch of applications and then they complain that, you know, nobody's hiring or, <laughs> um, you know, I'm just getting ignored or nobody's, you know, I'm getting ghosted, nobody's responding. So the first, I just want you to approach the job search from the employer's perspective. I want you to empathize with that. I'm not, well, although I know it's difficult. From a employer's perspective, speaking pretty directly, you all look the same. You all have just recently graduated from like a 16 to 20 week program. You all have some background in an unrelated field. Uh, your projects you highlight on your resume are very similar. <laughs> um, and you all have the same amount of experience, and that is zero. Yeah. Uh, so. The reason why you're being, the reason why I want you to think about this from the employer's perspective is that the the answer to how to get that first job in, in tech is to do all of the things that most everybody else is not doing, so that you stand out. Right. Uh, so, second thing, the biggest differentiator for career transitioners, or really any role, uh, is relevant work experience. Yeah. But then, how do you get? experience if you can't get a job, if you can't get a job because you don't have experience, right? Yeah. Um, and that is, as somebody who's reviewed resumes, uh, if I have hundreds or thousands of new uh, new job applicants to an entry-level role, which I've had before, yeah. Um, it is those that not just say that they're passionate developers, but those that show it. So you show it through... Uh, volunteer work 
Uh, you yeah. can go online and find you know, like, you know, Code for America or Donate Code or, or something to yeah. show that you're engaged with the community. Um, you can do a freelance or contract work with a family member or, or friend. Um, or you can maybe start your own little LLC, try to put yeah, some product out there. You know, all of these, while they maybe you're not getting paid for it, are still technically work experience line items that you can put on your resume and are the evidence of the passionate software engineer uh, that uh, that assertion that you make on your resume. Uh, so anyway, to sum summarize, empathize with, with uh, employers and then differentiate in the ways that are the most meaningful to that employer and that is giving yourself experience. I think that's really cool, uh, the volunteer perspective, because like it is a great way to get experience. Um, but I, I want to touch on a point that you talked on for your point, number one, is you said to do something that other people in tech aren't doing when it comes to like their job search and standing out. Uh, can you give us like a breakdown of like what that was or what that is? What they what people typically do? Yeah. And like, yeah, what can yeah. we do to stand <clears throat> out? Yeah. Yeah. So you, the typical new developer storyline is they... <laughs> You know, have no experience. They go to some boot camp, do some self-taught program, uh, graduate, uh, and then they just start bulk applying everywhere they can see. Yep. Uh, and so one, I kind of mentioned this earlier. All of your resumes look the same. Your capstones are are roughly the same, uh, and you're all applying to the same openings. Which uh, an aspect of that, when I talk about empathizing with the employer for a bit, a lot of employers, yes, will post entry-level openings on the big job boards. But remember, it costs them money to post openings there. Then or they... if they you know, hire a recruiter to help find a role, they have to pay that recruiter. Um, so for an entry-level role where they already are getting probably hundreds of applicants, I'm not going to say most, but a lot of companies will choose to forego that cost and not post junior openings on big job boards, uh, but instead will post them on their company's website. Or mm. they will try to look up junior developers themselves on LinkedIn uh, yeah. just by doing you know a, a Boolean search. Um and reach out directly so they can avoid uh, the recruiter fees. So part of the, the the drama, the difficulty here is that all of you are applying to the same subset of, of roles on these big boards, but instead you should be trying to differentiate yourself on LinkedIn so that these companies, these smaller, medium-sized companies that can't afford recruiters yep. uh, will find you um, or you should be reaching out to them directly or, and finding or finding their company website. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and applying there. I remember when I was first applying for jobs right after college, what I would do um, is I would go find a job posting and apply for it. Um, then I'd also just go find a random recruiter in this company if I could find like the one, like of course them. And then I would send them just like an email. Uh, I'd find their email and just send them an email and say like, hey, I'm super interested in XYZ position. I'm attaching my resume and here are three bullet points about me. And that seemed mm -hmm. to work like very well and is a super actionable item that people can take to really stand out in their job search. Yeah, because as a once again empathizing with the employer here for yeah. a bit, uh, you're looking at your you know spreadsheet of applicants and you have a few hundred from your job posting on Indeed.com yeah. or from they got from the recruiter. And they, there's a price tag next to each one of these. You know, if I hire this person, <laughs> I have to pay $12,000, right? It, uh, or whatever your negotiated fee with the recruiting firm is. Or I can interview this other person who looks the same as the others who applied through, you know, a big job board, but 
but they're yeah. free because they reached out directly and applied on our company website. Um, the, the value equation is a lot different. Yep. Uh, they'll be more likely to interview in the latter case. Or if you get a referral from somebody at that company, you know, contacting a recruiter or another engineer at that company. Uh, so a specific strategy, you mentioned one, I want to call it another one that I was talking with David Roberts, who's another content creator in this space, uh, that I thought was really interesting. Uh, so he used to work as an uh, agency recruiter. Yeah. Uh, so he talked about uh, trying to mimic what they do. Because these agency recruiters, uh, a big thing they do is uh, just cold calling uh, companies trying to open up positions that aren't currently advertised. There's less Not competition and it's easier for them to make money that way. Uh, so similarly, uh, he suggested going on LinkedIn, finding skills in your local market or finding companies in your local market that use the skills that you specialize in mm. uh, and then going to that company's website and applying uh, directly uh, or yeah. even... If there aren't any applications, just on the contact form uh, for that, that company yeah. and sending a message through there. And uh, if you can, can try to kind of create an opening that doesn't already exist, uh, then the competition is going to be a lot lower. And that's that's the big drama right now is just how competitive the market is. Yeah, it's crazy competitive. And I love that strategy because it really, it really does make you stand out. It's all about standing out. And I love the emphasis you're putting on going directly to the website because uh, I believe there, there is really something to be said when you apply to LinkedIn with 500 other applicants compared to when you apply directly on the website where there's probably a lot less. And like you said, to employer, it's all the same sheet of paper. You all have the same experience. And so it's finding ways to stand out just like that. Yeah, and you're free. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Standing out. I mean, so finding other ways you can differentiate yourself. So something that a uh, statistic I read the other day. So don't quote me on this because I can't remember the article. Nobody <laughs> so, hold it. Eric, no one hold Eric. Nobody to hold it, but... Accountable. <laughs> uh, but it was something like 70 percent of software engineers reported that they are looking for remote work, uh, actively mm. looking for remote work or they will not and they will not accept a, an offer that is not a, a remote work offer. So like something like 70 percent. Uh, which means if you apply to an in-person or even hybrid role, the competition for those roles is going to be a lot less. Yeah. Uh, so if you, you may not be able to differentiate your, in the sense that you can get, you know, amazing experience um, uh, on your resume to just make you stand out from other applicants. But if you are willing to relocate, willing to travel, yeah. willing to work in person, uh, willing to do the things that others may not be willing to do, uh, willing to maybe start off at a lower pay, maybe working off hours. Yep. You kind of have to, everybody has to determine what works for their family, uh, what works for their own mental health. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, go destroy yourself out there, but <laughs> if there are compromises and negotiations that you can make, you should be willing to do anything you can. Because once you have a few years of experience, oh, the whole world opens up and becomes a lot easier. For sure. I think it's super interesting right now as well, because there has been such a big shift into back to uh, like in office uh, where these remote jobs are probably hyper competitive um, and they're, you're just need to find a way to stand out. Uh, one way that I do want to talk about standing out is on LinkedIn itself. Um, let's just say entry level, someone's just like a senior in college or like a year out of college. What are some specific ways that they can differentiate themselves on their LinkedIn? Uh, once again, I got to give a shout out to David Roberts because he has an ebook yeah. on this. It's really all about, I guess, optimizing for the algorithm and then optimizing me... for the human reading it. Uh, yep. So when I say optimizing for the algorithm, that means 
you need to choose three to five keywords uh, that are the most relevant to your tech stack that the recruiters are going to be searching for. Mm. Uh, so that's typically like a language, uh, a framework or a platform. So like React, AWS, uh, you know, .NET, C Sharp, mm. whatever your, your stack is, identify the top three to five. And you kind of need to litter that uh, in your profile. So to be specific, uh, I'm talking about uh, in your header section, uh, yep. right underneath your, your name on, on LinkedIn, uh, in your about me, you can list those uh, in your featured section, you link to your GitHub and put the text there too. put it. You can turn on creator mode, even if you're not you know, a content creator, you can still register yourself with LinkedIn as being a quote unquote knowledge expert in a specific hashtag. So you can put, you know, hashtag react, yep. hashtag Java on there. Uh, linking any of your uh, work experience line items or school experience or project experience with those skills. Add those skills, get endorsed for those skills. If you're coming yep. from a cohort, you all should be endorsing each other for those skills. Complete the quiz assessments for those skills because that's what recruiters are going to be doing. One, so uh, they are going to be searching for developers by a skill. So you want to make yep. sure from an algorithm's perspective, you are... Uh, yeah. SEO optimized for for all yep. of them, and at the same time you're optimizing it for the human reading it. Yeah, because uh, at least you know, I'm speaking from the recruiters uh, uh, that I've talked to in my own experience here. But when you have 700 applicants for an entry level role, uh, you don't have a lot of time to review every applicant before you either decide to move on or reject. So you're skimming at this point uh, their resume and their LinkedIn. And if it's not abundantly obvious that you're going to be a great fit for the role we're looking for, I mean, I'm going to put you in my my discard. And I love the tip right there about like just litter, like litter your whole LinkedIn with like AWS, JavaScript, like all these terms that they're going to be looking for. Because like you said, and when a recruiter sitting down to look at this, it's either black or white. It's either like yes or no, like there's no in between here. And so you want to make sure that it's skimmable for the algorithms, but also skimmable for the person that's actually reading that. LinkedIn serves two purposes when it comes mm -hmm. to representing your experience. Uh, one aspect of it is representing what you've done and the other aspect is representing who you want to be. Then. So a lot of people will be, a lot of new developers I talk to are nervous about putting things like software engineer uh, in their header. Or they're nervous about putting even software engineers work experience uh, on their LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So I've seen LinkedIn profiles where it still says, you know, barista at Starbucks. Oh. And maybe in their about me in the second paragraph, it talks about what they want to be. And it's like, no, I'm not going to, I have no idea who you are, what you're doing. Why did a, why did a barista just apply a yeah. software engineering role when there's very little evidence that they've even done anything? So even if you've never been hired formally as a software engineer, you still put software engineer front end, whatever, uh, as your header. Uh, and then I commonly say your, your first work experience line item at a minimum should be a you know, freelance contract software oh, yeah. engineer or whatever your ideal title is. People feel, to talk about that, people feel nervous. Oh, am I lying here by putting work experience when it's not, when I haven't been formally hired by a company? I mean, freelance work, contract work, that's all self-employment. You can put whatever the freak yeah. you want there. Hey, seriously. <laughs> yeah. And as long as you're actively building something to maybe put out as a SaaS product, or maybe you're trying to build something for a local community group, church organization, or friend. Yeah. I mean, 
contract work doesn't have to work experience doesn't have to require the exchange of money to qualify as work experience as long as you're delivering value over you know probably a sustained amount of time where you make a, a significant contribution to it um, you can put that as work experience in my opinion yeah I, I agree with that as well and that hits on like a point you talked about earlier is just like volunteer experience build something and put that on your LinkedIn. Like, do not be afraid to put that on your LinkedIn that you uh, worked with the church organization to set up software or that you worked with local food bank to set up software. I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. And you should put that on your LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, my yeah. first work experience line item was an unpaid internship that was <laughs> four to eight hours a week. So not even technically oh, wow. part time. Yeah. But uh, I was contracted over like a six month period it was mostly SEO optimization stuff. So I'm like changing, I was mostly changing like text on HTML yeah. pages, updating yeah. tags. Uh, but it technically was software development, it was code. It was code. Uh, and that was, so I put that as work experience on, on my resume and I just kind of parlayed that, you know, forward and forward until I was able to, you know, get a formal, you know, nine to five as a software engineer. I love that. And so we've talked a lot about like, Breaking in the door, how are some ways that you can differentiate and like actually get your foot in the door? Let's just say you get that first interview with a software developer. What are like two ways that you can stand out in the interview process? Yeah, I think first is to recognize what interview are you up for? So because each group that you talk to is going to have a dip different objective. So the success yep. criteria is different. So at a minimum, you'll, you can expect three types of interviews. Uh, there's going to be the technical screen with a recruiter. Uh, then there's going to be a technical assessment with a hiring manager or technical member of the team. And then oftentimes there's like a behavioral interview with the, the executive team or a series of executives or a series of team members. Yep. Uh, so to talk about those three specifically for what success looks like. So the technical technical recruiter is oftentimes not very technical. You know, they can't tell the difference between, you know, a coding language and a, a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't say that to, you know, disparage recruiters. They're, they're wonderful. Screw. Love them. It's just an yeah, uh, aspect of the game here. So when you're in the technical, inter when you're in the, sorry, the, the, the screen, the phone screen, uh, they are just trying to make sure you check as many boxes as possible on the, on the, the job opening. Yep. Uh, and that you, you pass, you can speak at least comfortably to most of the information there. So they're going to ask some very high level questions to check off some boxes. Uh, so the success criteria there is just making sure you have a good story for every line item on your resume. And a lot of the homework is done beforehand and making sure that your resume matches as many skills listed on the yeah. job description as possible and that you're able to talk about. So the second interview, the technical interview. Uh, so this is this one's a, a little bit hard to, to game as well because the technical <laughs> interview can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Sometimes it's a technical Q&A session where you kind of just get quizzed and you just talk about it. Sometimes it's a whiteboarding thing where you're doing pseudo code and some solution design. Uh, sometimes it's an actual... Uh, like elite code style data structures and algorithm assessment where you have to actually fix something. Yep. Sometimes it is representative of your day to day where you have to you know, add a form to a page or fix a small yep. bug and, and they'll walk you through it. And sometimes it's a take home assessment. Uh, so you don't have to worry about the interview really at all because you, you can do that 
uh, on your own in your free time. But I would say general principles here for the technical interview is to understand that getting the answer is maybe only 50% of what they are trying to evaluate. Mm -hmm. uh, the other part that they're trying to evaluate is how you think. Uh, mm -hmm. So, for example, whenever I approach the technical interview, oftentimes I never even finished it. Um, and I would still get moved on to the next phase um, because they were impressed with how I thought. And so I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. So when I we get the question, a lot of it is reading through it. And then you start by asking clarifying questions. Okay, so now the interviewer sees that, okay, you are a detail-oriented individual. Uh, you are you, you think comprehensively about solutions before you just dive into the code. Yep. Okay, so you have this key, it's kind of this back and forth asking questions about edge cases and what have you. Uh, then you start writing some unit tests or just some basic assertions for these edge cases to confirm your understanding. So that shows them that, okay, like you're a test-driven developer, yeah, you're a quality-driven developer, you, you do that. Um, and then as you are, you approach the problem, you start talking through your solution. And before I would even start writing code, I would just do everything as comments. Okay, well, first, I, you know, comment first, iterate through the array. Okay, next comment, I need to grab the last item in the array or this item at this index. Next thing, okay, I'm going to have to put it here. And I'm just doing all of that in comments so they can see, once again, I'm yep. a detail-oriented, thoughtful uh, individual. Um, and then, you know, I start marching through and trying, trying to solve it. And sometimes that takes up most, <laughs> just that, uh, takes up most of the interview. And you can escape without having to, like, dive into yeah, the nitty-gritty nitty -gritty of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the third interview, okay, now we're into the behavioral interview. So once again, going back to what my original assertion about you need to empathize with employers a bit. So put yourself in the shoes of the person who's interviewing you. Um, mm -hmm. Most likely they are understaffed. That's why they're hiring, which means they are incredibly busy, uh, which means they don't have a lot of time to prepare for your interview, uh, which means as they're running around throughout their day, they sit down maybe a few minutes before and they think, oh, shoot, what am I interviewing for again? <laughs> and it is not uncommon for those interviewers to then see, oh, okay, this is yeah, it, right? This is for this, the React position for this one team. Uh, and then Google, like, common behavioral interview questions. Or common React interview yeah. questions. Common, but they're doing that Google search. Uh, which means you can do the same Google search. Uh, you can do that before and you can prepare certain answers to know uh, what you're going to get hit with. So it's kind of an open book test at that, at that point. Uh, so anyway, that was my long winded answer for how to stand out and prepare for each of the different interviews. No, I love that. It's uh, what I really liked about that was the thought process that like they care about maybe the answer, but they want to know your thought process and more. I remember, so I'm not technical at all. I remember when I was interviewing for a sales role, uh, we had to like sit down and like, speak like the director of sales and do like a mock interview call with them. Um, and they don't really care how you do. They want to know, like, are you open to feedback? Like, like, are you like assertive? Like when you're talking, they don't actually care if you sell it to them or not. They just want to know, is this person open to feedback? Are they coachable? Um, yeah, because yeah. you want to do well, but at the same time, it is also like those interpersonal skills of like thinking critically. Yeah. You can be incredibly good at your craft 
Mm-hmm. And if you're an absolute jerk to work with, exactly. No, nobody's going to want to work with you. I'm no. sure exceptions <laughs> exist, but I'm speaking in the majority of cases uh, that your the soft skills, how, how quickly you can you know, create rapport with your interviewer, how friendly you are. I mean, they they do play an element in and who gets hired. Yeah, for sure. I feel like a lot of it, like you said, is a lot is just being a good person, being a good teammate. Uh, that'll take you way farther in your career than actually being maybe I, I can't I can't say that for sure. But it's a it might take you farther than actually being like a great software developer. So uh, always something to know when you're coming out of school, especially that's something that I note as well. Um, and I do want to talk about just so we kind of make our way down. Let's say we get the job offer. Boom. How do you direct entry-level salespeople or entry-level software developers, do you recommend that they negotiate like any of the terms or the salaries or how do you coach that? Yeah. So I am of a, this is a controversial take. Oh, I like Uh, it. If you, (laughs) well, I will first say, if you feel that the offer was such a a low ball that it's like insulting um, or if you feel confident in your negotiation skills, you know, sure, come up with a counter offer based off of uh, market evidence. Yeah. Uh, but once again, empathizing with the employer here, uh, they have no idea. I guess two things. One, they have no idea how much you're worth because they really have no idea if you can do the job. They sure. have some evidence based off of what you presented. But as an entry level developer, they assume, okay, you have some schooling, but how much can you really do? How much have you really worked with the team? Uh, we don't know. Yeah. So you you are a big question mark. So any number you throw out there for like, well, the common the average salary is X Y Z. It's like, well, that's average, but we have no idea if you are are average, (laughs) or if you are below average, or if you are above average. Um, So first, I want to just want to say it's incredibly difficult for develop for companies to price that right. So I wouldn't get angry if it's below what you what you expect. Yeah. The second thing is. the how much you're going to get paid is not based off of how much you're worth. It's based off of how much the role is worth. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, if you are building a tool that is a SaaS product, that is a reven- revenue generating digital solution, you can expect to get paid more because the company wants to attract better developers so they can build a better product so they can make more money. You are a revenue generating function. But if you are going to be maintaining some internal system that maybe is you know, less used or supports some other business function, you are now a cost of doing business and their objective is going to be to minimize that cost. So just keep in mind, it's not, I, I hear on LinkedIn about know what you're worth, blah, blah, blah. It It's not that at all. Uh, it's yeah. like saying... It's it's just it's all very much dependent on the context of the company that you're working for. So I say all of those those things as caveats to say that I usually just say accept the offer. That's fair. Uh, it is so hard to get a job right now as a junior software engineer, uh, barring something that is uh, so egregiously low it is unsustainable for your family, or barring some toxic uh, work environment. Uh, I think the answer is yes to that first offer. Uh, and oh, then once you've proven that you can do the up. work, you can revisit <laughs> revisit it in six months, maybe a year. And maybe that's your negotiation is saying yes to the salary now, but 
you know, in six months, I want to be able to talk about this once I've had a chance to prove myself. And you go from there. I was going to say those, uh, the bargaining chips are a lot different once you're, uh, even for me, like two and a half years in, um, I'm able to have a lot more leverage about what I can negotiate just compared to when I first entered. Cause now like I've proven myself or like, I like to think I've proven myself, um, like you have results here. And so you have a lot more negotiation power when doing that. And so it is always interesting to see people, how they coach it. But I I do agree with you. Uh, definitely just take the first hour, especially in today's markets. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once you have, it sounds like it's the same in sales, but software engineering, uh, the magic number appears to be four years. Um, I was working with uh, the hire, Hire.com. I was on a panel yeah. for theirs uh, early in the year. And for them, it, the threshold is about four years and below they considered entry level. And that market mm-hmm. tanked uh, at the beginning of this year. Um, and it was engulfed by a higher an increase in demand for those with four plus years of experience it's interesting um, so i mean get whatever experience you can in my opinion and i wouldn't i wouldn't be too picky about the first role and just know it's not going to be your dream job it's not mm-hmm. going to be the dream hours it's probably not going to be the dream salary or at the dream location i feel bad saying that because i feel like i'm crushing a lot of people's dreams but you're good yeah on your second maybe your third job you know once you have some leverage there once you have some market value that's been objectively determined by where you've worked um you have uh, more negotiating leverage uh, to find what actually you want to do yeah absolutely well we are about to wrap up here but i don't want to end on that note i do want to end up on a happy note uh so can you just give us some what advice would you just give right now to software developers that are looking for their first entry level job? It's a hard market out there right now. We just gave a ton of advice, but is there advice that I missed out on that we should share or what advice would you have? I would say general broad speaking, there's no one piece of advice that I can give that can answer all of your problems. But I think a lot of the content here was very helpful. So my advice would be to just stay connected with as many sources of information about the job search as you can so that you can stay up to date on the latest best practices. So Ryan, I'll say shout out to this show right here. (laughs) You talked about actionable job search advice. You have regular interviews. We talk about the current market. Subscribe and listen to further episodes so that you can get uh, modern modern tips on how to succeed in the job search. Shameless plug for myself. I also have my own podcast, right? The Junior Jobs Podcast. We also focus on providing actionable job search advice for new software engineers from non-traditional backgrounds. We're also on YouTube, Spotify, uh, all of the major platforms. So those two, I would highly recommend you stay engaged with if you're looking for some ongoing advice for how to get a job in tech. And everyone, definitely check out Eric's podcast. It is awesome. I took a listen before this episode. And if you are a software engineer that is looking for their first gigs, needs advice, Eric dives into the depths of the ocean to give you that to you. (laughs) Eric, thank you so much for being here. A ton of great advice that you have on here. And yeah, thank you so much. Everyone, definitely please go check out Eric Anderson. You were awesome. Thank you. 